All right. What do we know about Lost Girl? Uh, what I know about Lost Girl is, first of all, my sister is very excited for us to do an episode about it. She, uh -huh. This is a fan request from my sister. Um, all I know about the show is there's some sort of fantasy angle. The character is a succubus? Mm-hmm. Maybe? Something like that? Yeah. I feel like I've heard that. Um, my sister has assured me there are bisexual characters on the show, so I'm excited about that. And, uh, yeah, I think that's some total of my knowledge. Bisexual fantasy stuff sounds like a Sarah Shea show written all over it. Yeah, this is, I believe it's a CW show oh, that was uh -oh. part of, <laughs> I could be wrong about that, but I believe it's, uh, it's sort of from that, like, it's, it's sort of like a post-Buffy attempting to be another Buffy kind of thing in terms of, like, somewhat self-aware fantasy with sort of like a young, a YA-leaning bent. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I believe uh, uh, Michael J. Anderson, he, uh, he guested very notably in the X-Files episode Humbug as the uh, hotel proprietor of the hotel Mulder and Scully stay at. Uh, and then he was also, he played Samson, the manager of the circus on, uh, or the manager of the carnival on the show Carnival. He's, he's just this fantastic character actor who, who could have very much been typecast because of his stature. And has just ended up doing a lot of really interesting roles and like really like interesting acting roles. So I believe he's in the show. I'll be really sad if he's not. Um, oh, and he was the guy in the red room in uh, Twin Peaks. He's like known oh, for that. Yeah. So that guy. I absolutely yeah. have seen. Yeah, I've seen that guy in, in numerous things. He's a he's definitely a known a known face. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I think it's a fairly recent show. Within the yeah, last, like 2010 yeah, or something within, like that. Yeah, definitely within the last 10 years. And yeah, fairly recent show. Uh, I didn't know that it was CW, but honestly, that kind of fits the general vibe of the show that I feel like I've gotten. Like, it might be a little pulpy in that yeah. way that CW tends to get. What's that That formula? Take, uh, take mythical creature, add vague romance and some overarching plot, yeah. and you have TV Cast show. sexy young people. Yeah. The like, CW. <laughs> Aliens, vampires, werewolves, succubi. <laughs> I mean, really, all that Riverdale is missing is some kind of... Oh, no, I was about to say, all that Riverdale is missing is a supernatural element. But, but don't they have a supernatural element? Yeah, they haven't really gone into it yet, but they've established that Sabrina the Teenage Witch is in that universe. Right, and she's getting her own series on Netflix. Yes, yeah. they, they've established in the show, apparently... <laughs> For the record, I, I have not actually watched Riverdale. I just listened to the podcast guy made Riverdale about it. But yeah, she's part of the universe or whatever. Anyway. All right. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's it. Bisexual, uh, sexy, young, uh, fantasy characters and a notable uh, 80s actor makes an appearance. Off we go. Here we go. Let's start with... First of all, I'd like to do just a quick little um, introduction of the show. Mm -hmm. uh, this show is called Lost Girl. It is from 2010. It ran till 2015 or 2016, five seasons. And uh, the one-sentence synopsis is a young woman with strange powers she doesn't understand tries to pull her usual kill-a-dude-and-skip-town act but ends up catching the attention of the local fay court who demand that she choose sides. What do you think, Strangely? Does that one-sentence synopsis sum up this pilot? You've definitely got it. I just, 
If I added another sentence to that, it would be, and it's all way weirder than it sounds like it will be. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, so then, now let us get into, before we get into the proper uh, rundown, shakedown of the episode, uh, let's address what we were wrong about in the What We Know, because we were wrong about several things. Yeah. Luckily, nothing important. We were not wrong about a succubus, and we were not wrong about bisexual characters. And that's really what's important, I think, about this show. But we were wrong about, uh, you thought it was a CW show. It is definitely not a CW show. No. And then I told someone else, oh, I think it's a CW show. And they went, no, it's a Sci-Fi Channel original. Also untrue. That was a sticky coaster. My bad. Sure was. Uh, it was made by a Canadian production company in 2010 and then picked up by the Sci-Fi Channel in 2012. So Sci-Fi Channel ran it, but it was not uh, their joint. Which is um, amazing that Sci-Fi Channel actually acquired something that seemed to be popular and ran a course of episodes. They're, they're quite known for greenlighting bizarre things that nobody asks for. And then canceling them before they get a chance to run the course of their story. The fifth season of Lost Girl was a 13-episode order. And then before the end of production, they added three more episodes in order to give them the space to conclude their story. Oh, that's so good to hear. Mm -hmm. Because, spoiler alert, (laughs) we're both going to watch the hell out of this entire show. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, before we get into that, though, we need to address one other thing that we got wrong, strangely. Michael J. Anderson, not to be confused with Kevin J. Anderson, the noted Star Wars novelist. Michael J. Anderson, the actor, does not appear in the pilot of Lost Girl. Mm-hmm. It is actually uh, an actor named Rick Howland. Yeah. Who is small of stature, but not uh, quite as small of stature. They do kind of have a similar look and a similar vibe, I think. Yeah. So you're not they, totally they crazy. <laughs> and they're both wearing, like elegantly tailored three-piece suits with like very nice ties and well-dressed you're thinking of his character on carnival or and also in uh when uh michael j anderson appears in twin peaks he's also wearing like a very nice suit okay so it's kind of his thing yes so uh, yeah this uh that was the the main things it was not a not a cw show or a sci-fi channel original and that actor was not on it was there Something else? Well, you were saying it was kind of a Buffy follow-up, but I don't really think that was necessarily what they were thinking. And the story is very, very different from uh, Buffy. Yeah. Other than the a woman finds herself, a young woman finds herself in a world she doesn't understand or whatever with powers she can't control. Yeah. Um, but that's not exclusive to Buffy. No. Um, and and it definitely is is other than like a few surface level things. It is not not very there's not a direct line from Buffy like no, I had thought based all. on like vaguely remembering seeing promo for this going on 10 years ago now etc all right before we get into the scene by scene rundown I just want to take a moment to say that it was very very hard when I was making the like when I was writing that one sentence synopsis and making these notes it was really hard to know what sort of terminology would work to use because I, and I think you are both very, very familiar with the tropes of fantasy and particularly urban fantasy. Yes. And 
it's so rare to get a show, a TV show with that sort of urban fantasy vibe. Mm -hmm. The closest ones that I can think of are Charmed, which I'd never seen before this show. Um, and which is very much rooted in the witch thing uh -huh. um, with some other magical stuff on the sides. But as far as I know from the whole show, much rooted in the witch thing. Buffy, which was strongly rooted in the vampire mm -hmm. thing with other magic stuff on the side. There's witches and stuff, but very strongly rooted in vampire stuff, rooted in horror. And um, what was the other one I was thinking of? Oh, also uh, vampire, the, va the vampire show. The vampire show? Uh, the other vampire show. The other vampire show. The sexy vampire show in the South. Oh, True Blood. Thank you. I was like, Vampire Diaries. No, no, no. That's another garbage show. Welcome. Good evening. You're watching the vampire show. <laughs> Tonight. <laughs> but in True Blood, it started very strongly rooted in vampire stuff. Rooted in horror. Right. But I, I've heard. I've never watched it. But I've heard that eventually it got into more. There's like fairy characters and other fantasy characters start coming in right but it starts very much rooted and this starts right off the bat like yo what's up this is a freaking fantasy show and it was kind of fun to be like i know what the who the morgan is and i know what fake courts are and stuff and but also kind of going how much did the audience understand you know yeah and how much do like when i wrote the synopsis i was like can I say the phrase, the local fey courts? I absolutely know what that means, but maybe other people don't. Uh, so anyway, it was it was very fun to watch a show that actually uh, just dealt with those tropes that I'm used to seeing in only books. So I, I was about to skip hot takes because we've kind of already established our hot take is that we both want to watch the show. Yeah. We're both into it. The biggest thing that is of interest to me with the show going forward, other than the fact that there are characters of uh, non-standard sexualities for television, is the fact that uh, the, the primary relationship story of at least this pilot was two women like meeting, forming an alliance, like having this adventure together. And it wasn't because they were like fighting over a guy or, and I'm like curious to see more from a show that would start out that way. Okay. Yeah, I, I don't know that I necessarily agree, but I can see where you're going with that. Honestly, my like one sentence hot take is this show is a hot pile of garbage and I am fucking here for it. Well, obviously me too. It is a hot mess that I am so excited to watch because like, let's get let's get this out of the way. We're so both super on board with the show and really stoked about it, but it's not super well written. This is your high school Neil Gaiman fan fiction given a budget and a cast and put on television. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I want to, I want to, and I want to be clear. When I say the writing isn't so good, people, you a lot of times think writing, they think dialogue, and it's that. Yeah. Some of the dialogue was very bad, but it's also just the pacing and the structure and like how they, because writing also has to do with okay, I have these two characters and they start out this way, and then I need them to get to this point where they feel this way about each other or they're doing this thing and deciding. What happens, both in terms of dialogue and in terms of plot and events that gets them there, that's part of writing. And this show really did not do so good in that uh, realm. However, we have watched 13 shows for this podcast now. And this is the first one where I finished the episode and went, oh my God, we need to immediately record this podcast because I want to watch this second episode, like right this second. Yeah. Yeah, we are actually scheduled to have an in-person recording session later this week, and we elected to do this over Skype <laughs> just so that we could watch more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're doing this over Skype just so we can get immediately into episode two. 
scene one. We open on our heroine, Bo, who is working in a hotel bar. And there's this hella sleazy businessman type who's like hitting on her. And then he orders two drinks and like slips something into one and then tries to offer it to her. And then she's like, sorry, I don't drink on the clock. It's policy. Walks away. And he immediately like yeah. clocks another woman in an obvious blonde wig <laughs> and goes over to talk to her who has entered the bar and started picking pockets also kind of obviously. Yeah. So sleazeball goes over to her and offers her the drink instead. And she just takes it and just chugs it and kind of leans against him for a second in order to pick his pocket. And then she just heads out. She's like, peace. Thanks for the drink. Meanwhile, we get like a little reaction shot that Bo has watched all of this. So then we go to the next scene where our little pickpocket is trying to leave via elevator, but the sleazeball catches up with her just as the drugs are beginning to take effect. And I just have to pause to say that uh, Olivia Twist here is the worst at being a criminal and also possibly at being a woman because I feel like no woman, but especially not a criminal trying to make a getaway, would get in the elevator with that guy. Yeah. What is she thinking? So, yeah, they get in the elevator. He, you know, she's like, she says, oh, why am I tripping? He's starting, he's trying to make out with her, Mm -hmm. but is interrupted by our hero who gets in the elevator and uh, pickpockets, you know, she kind of checks in with her like, "Uh, hey, you good? And she's like, oh, I'm okay. She's kind of sliding down the wall. Bo begins to then seduce the sleazeball and which is like, you're going, what? Why would you want to kiss this creepy dude? Yeah. And he's like, what do you want from me? And she goes, just one kiss. And they start kissing, and it quickly turns magical because her eyes glow blue, and he starts kind of going, whoa, acting weird, but can't stop kissing her at the same time. His skin starts to go kind of creepy and dark. His eyes glaze over. She's like sucking some kind of blue CGI mist out of his mouth. While this is all going on, Pickpocket pulls out her phone where she's slumped on the floor and records it going, this is going to so go viral. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the kids these days. Um, the guy sinks to the floor unconscious just as they arrive in the parking garage. And Bo, is, she just walks out. She's prepared to just leave. But the pickpocket is like, hey, what about me? And Bo reluctantly goes over, picks her up, and carries her away. Yeah, like a fireman carry. Very unceremonious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... The whole scene is very strange, and this is a part where the writing is a little bit like, what is going on? Because I finally worked it out. I think they intended for two things to happen in the scene that didn't really come across. One is I think they maybe had planned in the writing and maybe even in the shooting stage for the effects to be more overt. Uh-huh. Hence pickpocket being like, whoa, I got to record this shit. This is bananas. Right. But they were very subtle in a way that worked for the scene. It like totally looked cool. Yeah. They didn't go. They didn't overstep their budget or their time period with this, with the effects. Yes. But with her slumped on the floor, tripping balls, surely this would just look like two people weirdly making out in an elevator. Like, yeah. I, it's hard to believe that she actually witnessed she saw this and, and clocked, oh, this is something magical. Yeah, the video that that would have produced would not have raised many eyebrows beyond why are you filming people making out from the floor of an elevator? Yeah, also, it's I mean, it's a 2010 phone also, so let's not get crazy here. Right, right. Um, and then also, I think maybe um, they were trying to convey and just didn't do it very well that Bo 
when Bo goes, uh, you, you good? And she's like, oh, I'm a-okay. I read it initially watching the show as, oh, she's checking in on her, making sure she's okay. Uh-huh. But then she just strides out when she's done with the dude. She doesn't check in on her again to be like, hey, are you, di- are you dead? Are you, do I need to take you to an ER or something? No, she just strides out. So then that made me go, oh, maybe what they actually intended was when Bo goes, hey, you okay? She was actually trying to check out, is this girl fucked up enough that she's not going to be able to tell when I kill this dude right in front of her? Right. So I think it was supposed to be Bo was like, oh, this girl's going to pass out any second. So it's fine if she witnesses this. And then strides out, and it's only when Pickpocket goes, what about me, that she goes, oh, shit, you're not passed out slash dead? I guess I have to deal with you now that you're a witness. But instead, the first time I watched it, it was just like, why is why is she taking her with her now? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's a, not not the best writing, but we get the point across. Now she has, she has to deal with the Pickpocket. Right. So she carries her out, and we go on to the credit sequence, uh, or not a credit sequence, just a title card. A little sexy, like we see some naked flesh of some kind. It says, Lost Girl. Yeah, it's like... Sexy, magical text. It's it's like the director, creators, or whoever like envisioned a James Bond opening credits style thing. Mm-hmm. And they're like, it'll be like a camera pan over like sexy bodies, but it will maybe be fabric blowing in the wind. But then there might be like part of a boob. They're like, we, we need that. And they're like, all right, well, you have... $4,000 to make it. All right, well, how much of that can we get for $4,000? Oh, no. Like, you've got 20 bucks. Hurry up. <laughs> yeah, 15 frames. We'll give you 15 frames. And, but I like <laughs> that it, with a pilot, I like it not having a credit sequence because a credit sequence always spoils who's going to end up being a regular character and who's not. Right. I'm very curious to see if this show does get a, a credit sequence in episode two, however. Yeah, because some shows just don't. I've seen other shows that just didn't really have a proper credit sequence or they have like a quick little musical sting with with the title or something that and like created by blah, blah, and that's about it. So, yeah, I'd be fine with that. This is that it seems like around this time period, sort of 2009 to 2012, that sort of gap of time, it became more and more popular for TV shows to do that. So you have like the Arrow title card, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., etc. The example I was thinking of in my head of a show that did that was Numbers. And I think that was mm-hmm. 08 or 09, somewhere around yeah. there. So, sure. I think it became a way to to carve out another, uh, you know, two-ish minutes for actual episode time in a television landscape where the ad breaks are getting longer. Yeah, that's a good point. Not only are ad breaks getting longer, but shows are starting to be made with more of a a, a story, an ongoing story arc thought process in mind, yes. rather than we just got to do a quick, you know, 20 minutes and everything's wrapped up type of story. There, More shows are getting into more hour-long actual plot heavy things so it makes sense like right we don't need a credit sequence where everybody smiles at the camera and has their name under their face it's fine people can look up their names on the internet now exactly <laughs> so then uh scene three we're back in the parking garage and now it's a crime scene there's cops around there's flashing lights you know police tape everywhere yeah and we are introduced to and you named them so perfectly thank you they get different names later, but for now... Sassy Fedora Cop and Milk Toast White Guy Cop. I just want to say, state for the record that in my mind, while watching the pilot, Milk Toast White Guy Cop, in my mind, was Budget Chris Martin, the lead singer of Coldplay. Oh, because they do kind of look alike, yeah. Trying to kind of look dangerous, but like 
Looks like he's trying to look dangerous. Also a, a little bit world-weary, but like he's trying to look a little world-weary. And I want to make this clear. Yeah. I found this guy incredibly attractive personally, <laughs> but in a like budget Canadian TV actor way, right? Yeah. He's... So I said to somebody, I think it's a CW show, and they went, oh, those actors aren't nearly hot enough for the CW. And it's kind of right, but in, in a, they're not hot enough in a CW way, right? Right. CW actors are inarguably like all hunks and like dreamboats, but not necessarily in a way that appeals to me personally. Right. This guy, even though I referred to him as milk toast White Guy Cop, I was so on board from frame one. I was like, yes, I'll have some more of that. Thank you. <laughs> Foxy enough for America. <laughs> so they check out the body and it's they're like kind of being all normal cop cop business but then uh they send away the the regular cop like the uniform cops because they're both plainclothes detectives so they send away the regular cops yeah and as soon as the regular cops are out of your shot they start talking about like the vic is human the killer wasn't like it's like supernatural uh world Cops. You think it's someone on our side? I hope not. I don't recognize this kind of kill. I smell a human on the victim. Like, yeah, instantly we're like, oh, oh, the cops are also Faye. And honestly, I was delighted in that moment. Yeah. That was a good reveal. This show is not good at reveals in general, but that was a good one. Yes. You know, they're doing normal cop business, and then a uniform cop walks over and goes, dang, what happened to this guy? And they both share a look. And says, if our cop goes, Hey, Frank, why don't you go uh, canvas or something? And the guy's like, yeah, okay, and wanders off. And then they immediately are like, it's time to talk supernatural shit. And that was actually well handled. Yeah. I want to call out when the show does something right. Yes. <laughs> so then based on sort of the location of the body and everything, they surmise that he was the victim was probably drinking in the hotel bar. So they head up there, mm -hmm. speak to the manager of the bar. From him, learn Bo's name, his, uh, his bartender. And that the bartender had seen the victim hitting on the on Bo and also on a small blonde woman. And that he went and chased yeah. out uh, of the bar. And then Bo had disappeared around the same time. But also the the bartender says like there he's like, Oh, her name's Bo and they're like, You got a last name or an address? He goes, Nah, she was daily. Uh, is it is it legal in Canada? You could just hire someone to like what, pay them cash daily without like getting their last name or anything? Is that okay in Canada? I mean, I know people do pay people under the table, but he wouldn't admit it to the cops. Well, based on some of the abilities that Bo shows uh, shows later, I just assumed that she had put the supernatural whammy on the, the bar owner manager guy in order to get the gig. But then I think he would go like, oh, uh, gosh, I... I I don't think I got her last name. Wow, why didn't I do that? Suddenly he'd be realizing, wait, that's not the normal way you hire a person. Right. Instead he goes, nah, she was daily. Or she was till she left on a bathroom break and never came back. She's totally <laughs> fired now. He acts like this is a normal thing to do while talking right. to cops. Right. So I don't think her, her supernatural whammy can be excused. Maybe it was bad writing. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. <laughs> Moving on to the I'm next sorry. scene where... I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Maybe it's bad writing. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. <laughs> Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's a Canadian thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just want you to know. <laughs> you got me with that I one. Gotcha. I didn't even mean <laughs> that one to be funny. I was just talking. All right. In the next scene, we see Bo carrying their our little pickpocket over her shoulder mm -hmm. uh, into this dilapidated house. It's like her hideout, right? And I'm immediately like, why did you bring her home? Why didn't you just drop her in an ER or something? Like, stick her in a cab and send her to a hospital like what 
What are you doing? Because then she goes into a very quick moving out montage. We got like a rock and roll track going. You know, she's shoving clothing into bags. She reaches into a like a, a, a chimney and pulls out a hidden plastic bag that's like a pile of money and IDs, various IDs with her names on her, her name on it. Yeah. She changes clothes into a new outfit that is equally black, sexy, and form-fitting to the previous one. Yeah. No one will ever recognize me. It's so funny. She, yeah, she, she changes clothes and burns the other outfit, but the new outfit is still a black leather jacket, and it's just pants instead of a skirt, but it's like form-fitting black leather, and her hair's the same. I don't know. She burns it up just to be dramatic and goes, ah, nice place while it lasted. Which I really hope that, like, this is kind of a thing that, like, all of the all of the fay people on the show like all dress like low rent characters from the underworld movies with like the leather everything it's adorable cuz like milk toast uh, white guy cop to be absolutely clear is wearing like black leather and his shirt's like unbuttoned too far and he's going for a sexy underworld yeah. look as well so and speaking of of that he actually was in like the third underworld movie oh was he yeah wait I, I, for a second, I could not tell if you were trying to joke no, or if that, that actor actually actor in that movie. actor actually was in like the third oh. or fourth Underworld movie as like one of the Lycans. Oh, oh, that's interesting for reasons we'll learn later. Uh, but I want to just talk about how this scene, it's such a hurried, you know, it's a rushed, like, I got to get out of town. I got to skip town fast. Yeah. You know, it's a mo- it's montage style with like loud music playing. She's hurrying shit into bags and burning her clothes then we have, it goes to black and I think it might've been, uh, it must've been a commercial break right there. The nice while it lasted is a good line to end. Yeah. But then they forgot to keep that same energy going into the next scene. Yeah. Because the next scene is ostensibly supposed to happen immediately after she says those words. Yeah. Because she wouldn't have hurried and then sat around. There's no reason why she would just stand around waiting for the pickpocket to wake up. Right. Because in the very next scene, she's holding her bag and the pickpocket is lying on the couch with a blanket over her, which like, when did she stop to put a blanket over her? She was hurriedly gathering her belongings and burning her clothing. Like, also, all of that pleather would smell so bad burning. Ugh. I just want to say. Because those le- those boots were not real. Come on. She's walking across the room and then she's not even trying to be sneaky or tiptoe out. She kicks a can, a soda can on the floor and the pickpocket <gasps> sits bolt right up. And she and both like, oh, shit. And immediately stops and turns around like, girl, you could just keep walking. Yeah. What is stopping her? Anyway, I just want to say this whole next scene is very, very clumsily written. They needed to start with Bo and the pickpocket being thrown into a situation together. And by the end of the scene, they needed them to kind of like become friends, sort of, or at least be together in some way, bonded in some way. And they did not clearly did not know how to get there. So. She, she wakes her up for for no reason at all. She decides, I guess I'll stay and talk to her. Um, she tries to convince her, oh, yeah, you were this guy drugged you last night and I uh, saved you. Would have taken you home, but none of these wallets appear to be yours. <laughs> Which is a cute line, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, the pickpocket goes, I collect rare wallets. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's a it's a cute moment but the rest of the scene you're like okay so she's now convinced her oh so i didn't see you eat a guy's face <laughs> no how silly and she goes oh thank god because that would have been crazy and then as she's saying that she pulls out her phone apparently the video is still queued up on the screen yeah she sees the video and again immediately clocks that what she is seeing is something supernatural not just right Okay, so you did make out with the guy. You just didn't... Oh, no, I see magical shit on the screen. No, she looks at it and immediately freaks out. Right. She panics. Both kind of tries to calm her down, but then also goes, you know what? Fuck this. I don't need this. I got to skip town now because I blew my, you know, my nice living situation, saving your life. You're welcome. And tries to leave. Yeah. All of a sudden... The pickpocket switches from being freaked out like, oh, God, don't hurt me to wait, wait, no, please stay and talk to me about what happened. It it, it kind of doesn't make sense. It's it's the worst kind of show uh, telling, not showing dialogue. She literally says, wait, I just had the weirdest night of my life and I need to talk about it. Yeah. OK, I guess that's what's happening now. Fine. And then for some reason. They have this little joke moment, which would have been funny if it had made any sense in the context of the scene, which is Bo walks towards her and the music is like kind of growing and menacing. And she goes, well, that depends. Do you like milkshakes? <laughs> that would have been a cute moment. Where we're like, oh, no, is she going to attack her or something? Oh, she asked if she likes milkshakes. That's funny. But it makes no fucking sense. Why is Bo like, I guess we can go get milkshakes now. What? A second ago, you were hurrying to skip town. We then cut to the precinct. The cops have found the security footage of Bo carrying Kenzie away. And yeah. they're like, why would she take the kid? And you put that in quotation marks because that line also caught me off guard. Like, how old is Kenzie supposed to be? She seems to be right. roughly early 20s like Bo. But I mean, honestly, I cl I read her as younger than she was trying to look that the blonde wig was and the right over the top makeup was her trying to look older. You had a fake ID to get into the bar. I believe her as a teenager, but there is no reason for anyone else to read her as a kid. So I mean, bad writing because the writers knew she was a teenager or whatever. This is going to sound like me making excuses for the show again, but maybe mm -hmm. the cops are like, you know, ancient immortal type dudes who are like hundreds of years old. So you know everyone's a kid all young human uh -huh. okay strangely i can tell i'm already fangirling for this show and it's really <laughs> weird i don't know how to feel about this i do want to say that i i enjoy it when you try to come up with an in-universe explanation for bad writing good even when i go no strangely it was just bad writing i like that you are hopeful about good, it good because we're only halfway through this episode and i've got a lot more where that came from <laughs> All right, good. Also, I want to note here that um, the 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 uh, Fedora cop loves to repeat himself. It's it seems like a character choice, and I don't know why they would do that. This is the first time it happens, and it's the most over the top. He's sitting at his desk. Uh, Milk Toast Cop is at his desk. Sassy uh, Fedora cop has his laptop in front of her, and he sees the footage, and he goes, he kind of mutters to himself, "Gotcha." And then, as he's carrying the laptop around the desk, he goes. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. He says it three more times. <laughs> then he sets the laptop down in front of Milk Toast Cop and goes, hey, 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 got her. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on? Why are you saying? Could the writers not think of anything else for him to say other than got, gotcha and got her? Or was the actor kind of riffing and they thought it looked cool? It made him look more sassy. I don't know. It was, it, he does it more later. I'm going to call it out when he does it again later too. But it, this was the first time and the worst. Yeah, please do. We need to build a case to add to the wall of crazy. But anyway, they uh, Milk Toast Cop says, 
well, the victim had like sexual assault charges, so maybe he was targeting the blonde and yeah. the brunette stopped him. Uh, they also are able to, from the security footage or something, figure out uh, Bo's car. So they put out an APB on the car. And uh, Milk Toast Cop is like, I want us to be first on the scene. Like, so we need to, like, get in there first. Yeah, tell tell the uniforms to find her, but do not approach, right? Because they want to know what's going on with the magic shit. Yeah. Which, this is a, I will say this was a, a good moment for uh, uh, Milk Toast Cop. Because we get a little bit of his character. Because he's the first person who goes, I think she was trying to protect her. We get a little hint of, he's kind of, he sees, he tries to see the good in people or whatever. That's kind of a part of his character that he's kind of optimistic about people. Which is nice that there's sort of like a through line of that so that some of his actions later make a little bit more sense, I think, in the context of that as well. Yeah, I think they actually did a good job of establishing that gradually throughout the episode, that this guy, he wants to think the best of people, even though he's, you know, a homicide cop and also some sort of vaguely immortal magical dude. So in the next scene, we've got Bo and Kenzie in a diner because apparently Bo decided she wanted to have this conversation in public. Yeah. (laughs) The first thing we see is Bo deleting the phone video from Kenzie's phone. Yeah. So I guess we assume that Kenzie agrees to let her do that. Right. Or she made Kenzie give her the phone. Kenzie is just staring at her. Oh, I also forgot to address that earlier when when Kenzie wakes up on the couch, we see that her blonde wig has fallen off to reveal black hair that also looks like a wig. I was worried, too, with, like, them both kind of be, like, when her wig came off and then she had, like, the the longish dark hair. Yeah. I was, like, worried that there was going to be some sort of switcheroo where the cops were going to start chasing her instead of Bo. Like, it seemed like they were kind of... Yeah. No, that would have been good. Heading for something like that. It didn't even occur to me. I was just like, I'm sorry. First of all, this hair also looks like a wig. I'm pretty sure it actually was on the show, if not... Uh, canonically uh but also her hair is like straight black perfectly straight hanging straight down she's got perfectly straight black bangs yeah it does her hair does not look like she had it shoved under a wig all night no that's not how you wear a wig you you tight you pull your hair back it's like you put it under a cap ideally if you want to do the wig properly like it was just like Shows always forget what hair looks like under a wig, even though they should know that intimately because they use wigs all the time. They just want someone to look, you know, hot and perfect when they wake up. So she's she looks like a teenage goth, right, with the perfectly straight black hair and too much eyeliner. So they're in a diner and Kenzie's staring at her. Finally, she does admittedly a cute moment where she goes, "Okay, I got to know. And some questions are too stupid to say out loud. She grabs a pen and a napkin. scribbles on it and hands it to Bo and Bo looks at it and it says I am an alien and I am a demon with little check boxes next to it that's a very cute moment for for Kenzie I'm sorry did we even establish Kenzie is the name of the pickpocket she introduced herself in that horribly written scene while they were still in the house yes Bo basically then gives her the rundown apropos of nothing yeah there's no moment where Kenzie says or does something that convinces Bo maybe this is someone I can trust or open up to there's no reason she just does it she says I don't know what I am or why I do what I do basically I it's like this hunger that builds until I do what I did last night and 
Kenzie's like, you can't control it. And she's like, yeah, basically not. And Kenzie's like, wow, that's a bummer. It's no way to live your life. You should get some help or something. It's kind of dumb dialogue. But she then all of a sudden, Bo's like, well, now that I've uh, opened up to this stranger for no reason, I'm going to skip town. I'm going to go return to my plan of skipping town. Yeah. The waitress walks up and hands him a check. And she's she's a little bit surly about it. And then we get to see Bo's other magical skill, which is she just gives the uh, the waitress some sexy eyes takes her hand and we see like a little magical like gold sort of shimmer rush up the waitress's arm and she goes you know i'm a little short right now is there any way i could maybe come back and pay you later and which is like god yeah uh-huh sure <laughs> like she's completely like hi yes what uh, um, i don't know what's happening but yes whatever you ask yes is the answer yeah um and then they walk out and kenzie's like what the what was that and she's shouting what was that no seriously what just happened none no one else in the diner notices it goes like what are you okay waitress yeah another co-workers are like wait what what actually did happen you look stunned what happened just whatever the next scene which is in a fancy bar yeah where uh, repetition alert yeah fedora cop is already at the bar and he's drinking tea the bartender says how's the tea and he goes always the best always the best (laughs) Repeats himself for no reason. A uh, milk toast cop walks up and says, Hey, that waitress over there was checking you out. You should, uh, you should go talk to her. Uh, and so his partner is like, All right. And then as he walks off, we hear him saying to the waitress, Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> like, so <laughs> again, yeah. twice in one scene. Yeah. He, uh, oh no, there's a third one at the end of the scene too. Although I want to say him drinking tea seemed weird in the moment, but it was a surprisingly subtle for this show hint of of a reveal that comes later. Yeah. So I, I, I actually kind of like that, except for the weird repetition part. And then we realized that Milktoast Cop was actually sending his partner off to flirt with the waitress so he could have this serious and cryptic conversation with the bartender. It's the kind of thing, like it's definitely one of those conversations that's like, to set up something for for later and sort of, mm-hmm. I think this is our first look at really the overarching plot of the series or at least the season. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's like, oh my goodness, it's it's starting and and this has begun and they reference some sort of prophecy and they believe Bo is involved. And the bartender who the bartender is the actor that we had mistaken for. Um, yes. The other guy, Michael J. Anderson. Yeah. Um, and he says, do you think it's her? And Mr. Is, or, uh, Milk Toast Cop is like, well, what do you think? A woman from out of town, strangely friendly with humans. So they're kind of talking about this. And we get another hint at Milk Toast Cop's uh, character as well, because he says, I can stop this. And he, Bartender says, how? And he's like, well, I'm not going to kill her. Right. But there are other ways of making someone disappear. And it's like his being like, well, look, I'm not going to kill her because I'm a good guy. Right. But I could probably make her disappear. And the, the bartender says, like, right. you can't stop fate or something. Or he says, he specifically says, we can't fight fate. And then Milk Toast Cop says, you can. Which kind of, it, it's, the, it's, the, it's the second or third thing in the scene that sort of implies that the bartender has some greater level of power than sort of the average Faye because even the way he's shot in the scene, like he's shot from these low angles, he's very much in control of the situation in the scene. Like he's in his place of power, at least in this 
bar. Yeah, the cop seems to be sort of coming to him to like almost as like a supplicant to be like, I've come to provide you with information that you must know. Anyway, we end the scene with Fedora Cop coming back and they kind of stop talking about it. So clearly Fedora Cop is not quite on their level, um, even though he's obviously also one of the Fae. And as he leaves, he goes, all right, let's shake. Let's shake. <laughs> Again, with the yeah. weird needless repetition. <laughs> we cut back to Bo and Kenzie leaving the diner. And Kenzie, like, wants to be Bo's manager or, like, sidekick or, like, a, yeah. some, like, Kenzie is just seeing this as, like, some sort of superhero thing. She's like, you could be living a way better life with these sick superhero powers. Yeah. Why are you living in a crack shack? Yeah, which like, um, did you forget the part where I occasionally am, uh, commit homicide out of my control? Yeah. That's why I skip town and live in crack shacks, you idiot. She's like, no, you're gonna be living this cool life because you're a superhero. Yeah, superhero occasionally murders people. Why are you not phased by this? Yeah. Also, there's this little moment where as they're walking, they pass by just like an old homeless guy with a paper cup begging for spare change. And... As they're walking, Kenzie stops, takes her gum out of her mouth and sticks it in the guy's cup. And the guy kind of looks at it and like kind of shakes his fist at her. And it's like, fuck you, Kenzie. Like, what was that little moment? It's like the the scene wrote it like, oh, look at her. She's such a scamp. But I read it as, oh, you're a complete shithead who doesn't care about other people. Well, Got it. She she is totes okay with murder. But she's clearly supposed to be, we're supposed to like her. She's supposed to be one of our protagonists. I don't know. It's... yeah. Uh, it's a little bit like I honestly in the like the first scene or two, I actually was making notes in my phone as I was watching it the first time. And one of the notes I made was if Pickpocket doesn't become a regular character, I'm going to be so mad. By this point in the episode, I'm like, well, it's clear she is going to be a regular character. But now I don't want her to be because I kind of don't like her anymore. Right. So as they're walking down the street having this conversation, they pass by uh, Milk Toast White Cop. And him and Bo kind of have this, like, flirtatious, smiley, like, strangers in the night. We have a slow-mo moment where he's walking by and he's giving her a real, he's giving her the real fuck-me eyes and smiling. And she's she's giving it to him back. We She could be thinking, oh, I just give off that aura and this guy's, like, picking up on my vibes. But she has no reason to exert that power consciously over him. Right. Um, she establishes uh, in this scene that she can control people with touch, but it takes a lot out of her and it'll wear off eventually. Mm -hmm. She does say that. So she has no reason to exert this power over a random guy passing by. So I choose to believe that she's actually like, oh, what's up? <laughs> Low red Chris Martin, you, you hot. She's into it. Their conversation starts to wrap up as they reach Bo's car. Uh, and it, it sort of seems like Kenzie is prevailing at least for them to continue hanging out with each other. Yeah. Bo seems to kind of be coming coming around to the idea when the Faye police approach. Yeah. The Faye police. And the Faye police. They turn around and are like, uh oh, what are these guys all about? Sneaking up on us in an alley. And Milktoe's white cop gives the command, which uh, like this is definitely like a he's clearly the leader, the 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 more senior. Yes. Either as cops or as Faye. We don't know. Right. But he says, like, get him or something. Yeah. And we now see sassy fedora cops powers. He has some sort of vocal powers. I think there he's supposed to be a siren. I hope so. This is one of the like fantastical elements in the show that I really liked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it was 
again, it was like, it was like more of like a whistle, like even the shapes he was making with his mouth and everything. It wasn't like he just like opened his mouth real wide and some beams of stuff shot out. It was like, and he already doesn't start singing at them or something. He just kind of, yeah. he almost murmurs at Kenzie and then whistles at Bo. Like he uses a different sound to have a different effect on them. It's interesting. Yeah. I also, that's why I like that he was drinking tea earlier. If he's a siren and he uses his vocal powers, it makes sense. He'd take care of his voice. Yeah. I thought yeah. that was cute. So Kenzie is nearly knocked out, but not completely. Bo is dazed enough. She's still conscious, but she's dazed enough that the cops are able to drag her into this unmarked van. They say they're taking her to have an audience with the Ash. Whatever that means. Yeah. Uh, interesting. This, uh, that's not a, a character or a term I'm familiar with, except for the, that, that Ash trees sometimes have a significance right. in fantasy and folk to- tales. I'm not familiar with the idea of a character called the Ash. If there is one, I would really like, uh, uh, fans to let us know if they are familiar with that. Yeah, yeah. please at us. Please at us about that. Please ash us. Uh- <laughs> Kenzie recovers enough to take a photo of the van with her phone as they leave. So it's like, you know, she's like, what? No, my superhero. I shall uh, save you. Takes a photo of the van. And we move on to the, the Fae police are now dragging a masked bow. Like she's got a black hood over her head. They're dragging her down a hallway and she's weirdly trying to bargain with them. And she's acting as if she knows they're cops, which she has no reason to know that these guys are cops. Mm -hmm. Um, And you think that two weird dudes take you down through some, clearly some kind of magical means in an alley and drag you into an unmarked van and then put a hood over your head. Wouldn't you assume a, you'd think that she would clock that, oh, these guys are, are freaks, too, of some kind. Yeah. Like me. Because she refers to herself as a freak. She doesn't know she's magical. Right. She just thinks she's a weirdo. But you think that at least she would think they were criminals or something. But she's going, I want a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Her whole reaction to this entire new world is bizarre as well because it's like... Yeah. I feel like if I had some sort of supernatural power, it would stand to reason for me that there would be other people with supernatural powers. But, like... When she finds out there's a whole world of supernatural powered people, she is like, what? This, what? She acts like a human would. Yeah. She's somewhat skeptical and is like, you weirdos, what are you freaks all about? You know, yeah. instead of going, oh, freaks like me, one of us. <laughs> gaba gaba, I accept you. Um, and they absolutely waste what could have been, I think, a great reveal of the ash here. Because the actor playing the Ash, who is clearly some sort of leader, mm-hmm. he is he has seniority and power over these cops. And he's played by this guy who did look vaguely familiar to me, but I forgot to look up the actor. Uh, black guy, youngish, I want to say like early 30s, very dark skin. He's wearing this like really fancy, elaborate white jacket. And he's got this very low, very sort of commanding, mysterious voice, like young uh, James Earl Jones over here with this great voice. Right. They could have made a better use of this because they take off her hood while they're still in the hallway for no reason. She just goes, take the hood off. And he goes, hey, calm down. Takes off the hood. Then we cut to her being handcuffed in a chair and there's a slight visual reveal because the ash kind of walks around her. Right. You hear his voice before you see his face, but only seconds. So it's really a wasted reveal. What they should have done, in my opinion, is kept just kept dragging her as she's going, I want to see my lawyer. And they should have been like, lawyer? Who does this girl think we are? Cops? <laughs> or something like that. Right. Then they drag her before and we could have been in like bow vision with the fabric over the camera and her going, come on, guys, what's going on? 
And then we hear this throbbing, sensuous, deep voice saying, I don't know why you're being so obstinate, girl. Like, if you just tell us your clan, you know, this could all be over or something. And then pull off the hood and we see this magnificent man with this amazing voice. I don't know. It could have been a cool reveal. And it wasn't. Yeah. He's saying, you know, just tell me, I don't know, why are you being so obstinate? Tell me your clan. And she's like, I don't have a clan or bagpipes. I'm not Scottish, you weirdo. And he's like, oh, Lori. He leans up in her face and says, don't you know what you are? And then she has a, a moment where she's almost a little bit real about it, where she goes, what am I? Like, she almost does want him to know and tell her. Then she headbutts him. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Even though she's handcuffed. Um, and then... She's attacked his leader. Milk Toast Cop lunges at her, growling with his hand around her throat. And we see he's got the fangs and the yellow eyes. Boom. He's a vampire. I think he's actually a wolf guy, like some sort of lycanthropy thing. Mm, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I definitely read it as vampire. Well, we will We will have to... Let's look that up. I don't know. I kind of want to... I want to wait till they reveal it on the show. All right. Well, we'll we'll, uh, we'll address that during a, the catch-up episode, which we will definitely do. Because that you make a good point. Uh, he could theoretically be... But usually vampires uh, can are depicted as being able to control yeah. the appearance of their fangs in most versions. Mm-hmm. I mean, this seems to be... It seemed like they were playing by Buffy rules that right. they can, like, vamp out and make the face go crazy. Even though for him it was just fangs and yellow eyes. He didn't have, like, crazy face ridges right. uh, like they did on Buffy. Um, whereas werewolves, usually it's controlled by the moon. So, right. well, it, interesting to see who's right on that one. Yeah. He, you know, rushes at her and then she goes, she says, with surprising calm, considering that he has just lunged at her. And this is the first proof she's seeing right she could convince herself around the vocal powers but this she goes forget about me what the fuck are you or she didn't say fuck but she says forget about me what the heck are you but she seems like weirdly calm about it yeah with this vampire like centimeters from her face we'll be canadian about it instantly this blonde woman in a lab coat rushes in saying i'm sorry it's the morrigan who is a figure from uh irish mythology a sort of queen powerful fae character um, and says, you know, the Morrigan demands to see her. And this sexy brunette struts in, flanked by two heavies, you know, strong henchman types. Yeah, there's a bit of a, a play back and forth between her and the Ash, which kind of establishes that they are equals in power, but on opposite sides. He goes, you know, you were not invited. She goes, I know, I'm so offended, but I need to know if there's a new player in town. You know, she's all coy because, I don't know, she's sexy. Um, There's a bit of a skirmish over who gets to take Bo. She tries to instruct her guys, take her. And uh, uh, (laughs) Milkto's Vampire Cup lunges at them. And at this moment, I don't know why exactly, but when he vamps out and like, there's just a very... There's not a great effect here where he's supposed to have like super speed, yeah. but just the way they did it made him look like he was just kind of hurrying weirdly towards this heavy to attack him. Yeah. And I shouted in my uh, empty apartment, I am in love with ineffectual milk toast vampire cop. <laughs> and that is where I started referring to him as ineffectual milk toast vampire cop for the remainder of the episode and in all my notes, except I had to call him milk toast white guy earlier because I... Right. Uh, didn't want to re- spoil the reveal. After a tiny bit of a skirmish, the Ash says, look, Lauren needs to examine her. Lauren, apparently this doctor type character. 
And then he says, you and I, the Morgan, need to talk. So the blonde takes Bo away. We then cut briefly to Kenzie, who is speaking on Ru- in Russian on the phone. And it's kind of like played like she's got some mob contact or something like that. And then she transitions out of Russian to go, because you're my cousin. <laughs> Which, just trace the van's plates if you want the wallet or I'll tell your mom you're being mean. And I loved that. I loved that little reveal. That was another like fun little thing because I, I feel like it's such a thing on a lot of these, uh, on a lot of shows, like people have connections or they're, they're like, Im- like really good at working the system. And clearly like she's a low level pickpocket who's talking to the only person with any connections that she knows. Yeah. And his connections probably aren't that great, given the amount of time it takes him to trace a single license plate. So then we go back to... uh, No, not back. So then we go to Lauren uh, examining Bo. And uh, Bo is naked, just for reasons. uh, For sexy Mm -hmm. TV reasons. Uh, Lauren says she's examining Bo for a brand or ritual scarring to show what clan she's in. But she's like tracing her fingers along her back in a very not clinical way. They have this little bit of dialogue where she's clearly having a hard time keeping it together with a naked, gorgeous woman on her table. Yes. She says some unprofessional things and it's like, sorry, I, I meant that clinically. And Bo is like, I have that effect on people. And Lauren goes, well, that would fit my hypothesis about you. <laughs> so she's trying to rein it in. <laughs> Tells Bo that she and the others are fae, but then she says, well, that's your genus, not your species, which I thought was kind of cute. Yeah. We've been using the term fae like throughout describing this episode, but this is actually the first time that this term is actually spoken like in the episode. Yeah. Again, this is the sort of thing I was going, how, how, how do we talk about this? Because you and I absolutely know fae, F-A-E, what that means. Right. As in magical folks, not fairies or, or you know, tall, white, beautiful Tolkien elves, just fae, m- magical types that are not human. And that is a term that we are familiar with. And I kind of thought it was cool that they used that term in the show because they shied away from other terms right. that they could have used and used more like layman's terms. But they used fey, uh, and I kind of like that. I also just wanted to point out that like, from a writing standpoint, it's something that I enjoyed that like the other fey alone with fey conversations, mm-hmm. like the two cops earlier, they could have been like, well, all the fey factions are getting restless or... There's growing unrest in the fake community, like, but they don't. Yeah, they, it it actually is. The conversations are much more natural and like people actually would be in the moment without like cramming a bunch of piloty stuff in. Yeah, and I just kind of like that. The way that they gradually grow to the reveal that we are dealing with Faye here is pretty well handled. So they did that pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. Lauren also then reveals she is actually human. Uh, she says, I'm a human doctor who's in it for the science, the insatiably curious human doctor, she calls herself or something. I like that idea. However, mm-hmm. I I can see why she would want this arrangement. It'll be interesting to see whether they're able to convince us why the Fae would want her help. Because surely there are Fae doctors. That's a very interesting point. I did really enjoy this character that she didn't feel like she was like a thrall or a stooge. Yeah. At least in this mm-hmm. this episode, which is... I also have a lot of questions about her and sort of her place in this world because... She wasn't a Renfield. Right, exactly. You know, uh, what is the term from Buffy? Bug-eating man-bitch. That's what Xander calls himself after Dracula enthralls him. Oh, <laughs> I was like, excuse me? He's like, you turned me into a bug-eating man-bitch. I've, 
I've actually heard Renfield used, which if anyone doesn't know, Renfield is the name of, wait, am I remembering it right? It's Renfield, right? I think so. The name of Dracula's stooge in the Bram Stoker novel. Uh, he has a human who's under his thrall named Renfield. And I've heard that used as a proper noun for a, a human who is in thrall, uh, who is a stooge of uh, a supernatural character in other things. And I've always just kind of appreciated that. Uh, that in a world where supernatural stuff is real, they would still reference a novel. I think that's cute. We cut then to the Morgan and the Ash having their little private meeting mm-hmm. uh, where Ash believes that Bo genuinely does not understand. She does not know that she's Faye. Yeah. Morgan is like, you're an idiot. This is obviously an act. Um, but they establish that they are leaders of their rel- respective courts. I'm using the term court because I know what that's leading up to, but they haven't said that yet. Right. In this city or region or whatever, but that there are others. He says, if it gets out that there was a rogue fae making sloppy kills in our town and our turf under our noses, we'd be the laughing stock of the counties. Yeah. So we know that there are, the fae apparently break up the country or the world in counties they are uh, the two respective leaders of this uh, county uh, on opposite sides. So the Morgan wants to say, like, well, then we'll kill her and get rid of her. And, and Ash says, no, we'll make her choose between our sides. The old way. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so mysterious. Back in the lab, Lauren tells Bo she's a succubus. And she's seriously like, Bo's like, what am I? And Lauren goes, you're a... And Bo says, just say it. And I'm like, all right, calm down, Twilight. Was that a deliberate reference? I don't know. I just, I got to say, though, mad props to Zoe Palmer, the actress who plays Lauren, because, like, so much of the entire premise of this hinges on selling succubus. I feel like vampire or werewolf are kind of, like, the easy sell supernatural creatures. But, like, this is a new one that has not featured on anything. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting, too, that... Like, yeah, Buffy, rooted in the vampire thing. Charmed, rooted in the witch thing. This? Our main character's a succubus. There's less of an established sort of canon of what succubus fiction is like. Uh, Because most of it is effectively porn. Uh, Yeah, exactly. I've I've seen very few things that dealt with how uh, the interesting aspects of what a succubus character could be. I guess I've never read any, like, old folktales that deal with that. I don't know where the... Incubi and succubi character idea came from originally. Although I saw this great Tumblr post where they point out. So for those of us uh, listening who don't know, a succubus is usually described as a demon who feeds off of sexual energy of humans. Um, and succubus, usually a woman or female presenting demon. Mm-hmm. And an incubus is the same, but a male presenting demon. And someone on Tumblr, I don't know if this is actually true, but it's hilarious, pointed out that the word succubus comes from like Latin or something for to lie under and incubus is for to lie on. And so they said, it's not about gender, succubi are bottoms and incubi are tops. <laughs> And I was like, wow. headcanon accepted. I I hope we run into an incubus on the show at some point. Yeah. They have like a, a fight. Ooh. Um, Cubus fight. The delivery of the line, though, is great because it's like, I feel like the character is like, the character knows how stupid what she's about to say sounds. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, also knows that it's like, correct, like factually correct in the universe. And it's just like, yeah, like, yeah, she's she's 
she's comfortable with all this terminology, but still sometimes she feels a little weird saying it, especially because this is probably the first time she's had an encounter with someone who is fae and doesn't know it. Yeah. So she's not used to saying this stuff to someone who would feel like she did when she first heard about this stuff, like a human hearing it for the first time. Right. Although there's a nice moment for her character where she says, you're a succubus and uh, you, you know, I think maybe she even says you, you feed off of the sexual energy of humans. And Bo says, well, can you fix it? And she says, well, there's nothing to fix. You're a perfect biological specimen of your type, yeah. which is kind of nice. This whole thing reminded me so much of, have you ever seen the TV show Forever Night? No, I have not. Oh, God, strangely. Forever Night was a late 80s, early 90s, I can't remember exactly when, Canadian TV show mm-hmm. about a vampire cop who's a good guy, quote unquote. The only one who knows his secret is a human doctor lady who's trying to cure his vampirism. Wow. And so I was like, uh, what's up, <laughs> Forever Night, the new class? <laughs> like, I genuinely wonder if this that show is part of the inspiration for this. Even though in that, the, co- the vampire, it's only vampires, mm-hmm. is the only supernatural stuff in that show. And the vampire cop is the main character. He's also blonde and a little bit milk toast and kind of one of the good guys. In that, it's all about the, the human uh, doctor, medical examiner character. She's trying to examine him and find out the scientific truth behind his condition so she can cure him and make him human again. And in this, when she's like, when he, can you fix me? She goes, there's nothing to fix you. Right. You're perfect the way you are. You were born, beautiful baby. <laughs> like I kind of like that for her character, though. After finding out that she's a succubus and that it's not like a curable thing, it's just what she is, uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Lauren goes on to give her like a bit more of an expo dump that the fair divided between light and dark and that Bo is going to have to choose a side in order to sort of get more information about herself and sort of meet others like herself and all that. So there's definitely an interesting implication that Lauren helps Faye on both sides. Right. But there's sort of like a Faye is not allowed to not choose a side. Right. They wouldn't be able to take advantage of the amenities without picking a side. So you got to join the club before you take advantage of the doctor. My, my sort of interpretation of this whole scene was that possibly Dr. Lauren's purpose with within this community is to help with some sort of like integration. You know, like how can we better hide and blend and hang out alongside the human world? Mm-hmm. Sort of a thing. Sort of the uh, the Mr. Weasley of the uh, <laughs> of the of this world. Hopefully slightly more effective than he is. Yeah, hopefully. So then Bo tries to seduce Lauren into setting her free. And it's kind of an adorable moment because I got a very strong implication that Lauren is not just affected by the fact that Bo is a succubus. Yeah. She is gay as hell. Yep. And that is not helping. Yep. And Bo is hot. Because yep. Bo takes her hands and goes, I can promise you things if you get me out of here. And Lauren goes, physically, this was a great performance. From You said Zoe Palmer was the actress's name. Uh-huh. This is a great performance. She is physically completely on board, but says, I know what you're doing. And Bo goes, do you want me to stop? She goes, nope. <laughs> she says it really quickly. Yeah. Nope. nope. Absolutely not. And I love that. That was a great moment. Yeah. She then tries to, you know, Bo tries to lead Lauren out of the lab. The door is open and there is a milquetoast vampire cop waiting with handcuffs. Yes. Uh, says He says, you know, we're taking you to the old glass factory. It's neutral territory. Yeah. 
And Lauren's like, why, what are you, what are you, why are you taking her there? And he says, for the test. Lauren objects and says, like, without any training, that's madness. And it, it, Vampire Cop says, it's not our choice. So he kind of seems to agree with her. Like, yes, also giving her this some sort of ancient test, even though she has just learned that she's fae and has no grounding in this world. It is crazy. He kind of seems to agree, but whatever. Yeah. He, you know, out of his hands. We cut back to Kenzie. Her cousin calls her back. And conveniently, in a way that makes no sense in universe, the van that they kidnapped her in is registered to the company that owned the factory, this abandoned factory. And also, if you're going to go kidnapping people in the sight of humans, maybe use an unmarked van. Kenzie conveniently arrives at the factory at the exact same time as all of the fae who are toting Bo inside. And then uh, the Morrigan has a little private audience with Bo. Mm-hmm. tells her, you know, she doesn't believe her amnesia routine, but then also gives her a bunch of exposition anyway. It's weird. It's like unclear. Do you believe her or not? Because um, if you didn't believe her, you would have no need to explain the system to her. She doesn't even go, all right, I don't think you actually need to hear this, but I'll play along. She just launches into, you know, we have a millennia old two-party system and it works very well because membership is mandatory. And she says, I'm the welcome wagon for the dark court, you know? Yeah. Basically tells her, you know, tries to sell her on joining the Dark Fae. Uh, we place our members in human occupations that will benefit us. This explains the cops. Mm-hmm. We cover up their kills and protect them in general. Oh, and dental. <laughs> Hilarious. And then uh, we go to Kenzie. Basically through this whole next scene until Kenzie actually appears again, we keep cutting back to Kenzie trying to break into the building. Really long, unnecessary shots of Kenzie kind of not doing a great job of breaking into this building. Yeah, um, it's, it's got a very strong, like, Nancy Drew Babysitter's Club uh, vibe of just, like, like hijinks, but, like, aware high. She's like, I'm doing hijinks. Yeah, she, like, rolls out from under the car. And, like, you can practically hear her singing, do, 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 do. Yeah, exactly. She does everything but hold up her hands in like a finger guns motion as she backs up against a wall. This is like Kronk doing his own theme music. It's like that (laughs) level of not very good at being sneaky. And honestly, early on, I was like, I'm not sure if she's supposed to be badass or not. Is she just hilariously ineffectual to me, but the show wants us to think she's a badass? Now I'm, by this point... I was like, okay, now the the show thinks she's a little bit not as great as she thinks she is at being a pickpocket and being a criminal. Yeah. So we then go back to um, Milkto's vampire cop is giving Bo kind of the rundown of what the test is. He's escorting her to the test, but he's also kind of giving her like a quick rundown. And it's in a sort of um, way that implies this is not part of the test where he gives her information. He's trying to help her by saying, look, you're going to do the test. You're going to face two under fae which are like very strong and dangerous members of the fae community who don't fit into the human world yeah so like the the bigger scarier guys and he says you'll face two and i'm like i freaked out i'm like what the fuck is this there should be three tests yeah that is fae 101 there are always three tests yeah but I guess the show didn't have time for three tests. And to be fair, the tests were kind of tedious. They weren't that fun to watch. So I'm okay with only having to watch two of them. Are you? Oh, my gosh. I thought they were. The first one was amazing. You, what? You, you liked it? Ugh. I love it when we totally disagree about something like that. 
So basically she says, well, what do you think are my chances? And he goes, well, I wouldn't bet money on you. Right. Because you have no training and no experience. And she goes, oh, thanks, asshole. And he immediately turns to her and says, kiss me. And she goes, boy, are you bad at reading women? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But he says, look, you need all the strength you can get. Take some of mine. And she's like, realizes then what he's offering and goes, won't that kill you? And he goes, just kiss me. And holy shit, that kiss was fucking hot. (laughs) Did you agree? It was a very good kiss. Both. I mean, like a kiss can be good or bad, right? Remember the kiss in Degrassi that was like, is this supposed to be sexy? Because it's uncomfortable. Actually, there were multiple kisses like that on Degrassi for various reasons. But just the chemistry between the two actors, the way it was shot, the way that the actors did it physically, the chemistry between the two actors, all that was well done for this kiss to be pretty freaking hot. The way he kind of grabs her. Yeah. It was good. Also, there was another aspect of it that made it even better, which is you're like, he is taking a pretty big risk for someone he barely knows. Yeah. Because he doesn't know. She's an unknown quantity. Right. We don't know if he's ever experienced being drained by a succubus before. He's taking a bit of a risk letting her kiss him. Also, he has no reason to help her. But he's willing to give her. He also clearly doesn't think she has much of a chance. But he's willing to give her some of his strength. Yeah. To help her. Which, like, it was really hot. Although, I did have a moment where I was like, it feels unearned this early in the show. Yeah. Like, if they had saved that moment for later in the show, where maybe he, they developed in the show that he was attracted to her, but he always kept his distance because he's like, ooh, succubus, right. gotta keep my distance, don't want her to try and drain my powers or something. Exactly. I don't want her to have power over me or something like that. And then there was a moment where she was, like, about to die, and he says, kiss me, take my strength or whatever. It could have been a really intense moment if they saved that kiss for later. Yeah. However, I'm not complaining too much. Right. Because it was a really strong moment for developing his character, yes. which we've been showing up till that point that he was kind of optimistic and hopeful and wanted to help people. And this is like the ultimate moment for that. So I was all right with it. Yeah, there's a good payoff of that, like, you know, C plot. He ends the kiss and pulls away and like is not dead. Oh, yeah. And she is like. He shoves her away. Yeah. And <laughs> she's like, her initial reaction, she's like. Losing her mind. Yeah, she's like, oh, that was like the 4th of July in my mouth. <laughs> she's like, did you feel that? And he's clearly just having a moment to kind of recover. Yeah. And, she, and she's like, she is wide-eyed. She's like, woohoo, that was like a roller coaster. And then all of a sudden he goes, wait a minute, you pushed me away. No one has ever pushed me away. And he's like, yeah, Faye, we're different. He's, he's almost a little bit like, oh, God, you are really slow in the uptake here, girl. Yeah. Like, obviously, you saw the fangs, right? I'm not human. I'm different. That whole line and that whole exchange, though, I just, I laughed so hard that somebody on another floor of my office building came down to see what was going on. (laughs) That's amazing. I love it. Um, I just paused to, like, have a moment and flail my hands a little bit. So we then go to this big room in the glass factory. There's tons of fae, although everybody's just like wearing suits and things. Everybody just looks very human around the edges. And they're all watching and chanting and shouting. And there's this giant barbarian guy waiting for her. And he has this like, uh, like this is like some very janky, like seems like late 90s style CGI. He has this snake tongue that keeps coming out. But then he like, is like roaring, so it's like with the snake tongue. Like it doesn't fit. Like he should be hissing. Yeah. With the snake tongue. I actually paused it and went, "All right, when did this come out?" 
2010. All right, guys, you could do better than that. And the fight. But it is Canada. The fight itself is ridiculous because it's like, you know, ostensibly she's smaller and faster than him. But like, yeah, dude is is like, you know, he's wearing like the leather thong armor. It's like clearly he's like some sort of warrior who's been, you know, he's like a Conan the Barbarian looking dude. Yeah. Like, yeah, clearly he's been warrioring for at least some time. Like it just Vampire Cop says earlier. And also I want to address uh, we're calling him Milktoast Vampire Cop, not because nicknames are a thing we do on the show. We never learn his name. No. Weird to not get his name in the whole episode. But yeah, it, he says earlier, yeah, the old, you're facing the underfay. They're very old and very dangerous. He's he's very strong. He's like an ancient warrior. Why would he not be able to easily take her down? It seems like she should use some sort of cleverness here, but she just, just, they have kind of, I thought kind of a boring fight visually and and she has some weapons she's provided with some weapons and she just goes buffy and like all of a sudden she has fighting skills which i was like okay it was the show doing a bad job of conveying to us that she has superhuman strength and and fighting skills or are they doing a bad job of conveying that she has gained this from the vampire energy that she just ate yeah because she doesn't look surprised but all of a sudden seriously like she hits him and he stumbles back yeah. it's like excuse me she looks like she weighs 120 pounds soaking wet yeah. and he is nine feet tall and made out of like several arnold schwarzeneggers tied together yeah like there is no reason he's if like the rock and arnold schwarzenegger and like three marvel leading men voltroned together into one big dude yeah. it would be this guy he's huge and she actually manages to not only take him down by being faster or whatever uh but she genuinely like she gets a few hits in and he stumbles back he is affected by those hits and you're like yeah she is not shown having any kind of superhuman power or strength other than those that her, that her, her magical, you know, seduction powers, which she does not use those powers in this fight at all, which I assume was intentional to show there's more to her than just seducing people. Right. But yeah, they just have a pretty standard fight where she, you know, rolls out of his way and slides between his legs and then it cuts, knocks him down somehow and slits his throat. And then it's like, she did it. She killed him. She well. She takes out his. She gets out that. She gets the hammies. Yeah. She like slices. She dives through his legs and slices his hammies, all Star Wars style. But then yeah, then she manages to get on. She gets on top of him. He sticks out his tongue. She goes ew, gross or something, and then slits his throat, with with no fanfare. And we have no reason to think that this woman has ever killed someone with her actual hands. Yeah, in combat. And she's fine with this. She's like, oh, okay, I did it. Well, that was easier than I expected. And you're like, why should it have been? So I wasn't super impressed with that. But then there was a nice moment, the reveal of the next challenge, because she's just standing there, you know, huffing and looking up at them defiantly, like, yeah, all right, I did it. What's next? Even though she doesn't say anything. Mm -hmm. And then this creepy hand appears from behind her and and grips her shoulder. And then she kind of... right. Goes like, what? And then all of a sudden she's in this beautiful, very calming uh, forest scene with little birds in the background and everything's sort of soft focus. Yeah. And there's this kindly old man sitting in these beautiful leather chairs in the middle of the forest and says, oh, hello, would you like some tea? And she's like, what is going on? And this is this is the one kind of bit of the show that did feel like very much Buffy. Yeah, this definitely had a Buffy vibe. The soft focus for a like dream sequence kind of thing. A kindly old man who 
turns out evil. Like even like the 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 chairs and the whole. I I I wouldn't be surprised if this the kindly old man actor played a creepy kindly old man on yeah. an episode of Buffy probably at some point in the past. Like it's just and he tells her that he's a pain eater and he could take away her pain and end her suffering. And he's seeming very like I want to help you. I want to end your pain. We then see he's actually this really tall kind of featureless Lord Voldemort type with no nose in a long robe. And he's got these long spindly fingers that are like mm-hmm. embedded into Bo's head. Yeah. And she has her eyes closed. She's under some kind of spell. So that's what's really happening. We go back to Kenzie ineffectually breaking into the building like the worst criminal ever. And we see that she is witnessed by the mysterious bartender. And I, I kind of wonder if he has sort of been maybe clearing her path into the building because it seems like this would have been guarded in some way and it hasn't been. Uh, if they meant that, they should have conveyed that way better. <laughs> but that could be. This scene and a couple of other little scenes with him seem to imply that there is this millennia-old two-party system, the light and the dark, but then there there seems to be sort of this third-column faction that maybe doesn't quite toe the line, and he seems to be... Ostensibly part of the light, but he doesn't necessarily claim fealty to the ash, you know? Exactly. That sort of thing. Yeah. The kindly old man back in the dream sequence then shows Bo all of her victims and starts telling her, your life, you know, this is no kind of life. I can fix it. And she says, like, well, no, they told me I could learn to control it. And he's like, do you really believe that? (laughs) Uh, you know, come on, you're an abomination. He starts to turn at this point. Yeah. He's offering her basically, I can give you a quick painless death. It'll be beautiful. Here, just drink this tea. And she starts to kind of fight him and she starts kind of getting a little more insistent. And right at the moment when he starts to say things like, no one will miss you, nobody needs you. Kenzie appears in the circle of Faye and begins shouting her name. And it's like, Bo, Bo, stop it. He's killing you. And she hears that in the dream sequence, wakes up, fights the pain eater off. She immediately pushes him away, grabs a knife, throws it at this big burly Fay who's been holding Kenzie back, but not muting, not putting his hand over her mouth or anything, even though she's interfering with the fight, which right. would, seems like it would have been obvious, but she throws a knife at him and he, you know, he, he gets him in the arm. He drops Kenzie. Kenzie runs over to her. Ash declares, the Ash declares, she has passed the test. You may name your side. And she very petulantly goes, neither. I choose humans. Which, I don't know. I thought was like, it was supposed to be a powerful moment for the character. And it felt a little like, just like sassy. Like, you, you're you not my real dad kind of moment to me. Right. So I thought a little bit like, I don't know, it... It had to happen for the plot for her to go, no, I refuse to pick either side. But I don't know. I I wish that it had been written so that I bought her decision more. Yeah, I agree with you that it's it's something that they had to have happen in order to move the overall plot of the series forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think how I feel about this moment going forward will be affected by how they continue to play this decision and what that actually ends up meaning Mm -hmm. for her. Yeah, they go to another little scene where the Morgan and the Ash are having a meeting saying, what do we do with her? Uh, Morgan's like, can we kill her now? I mean, she she defeated the test with no training. She's obviously got 
power we don't want to deal with. Let's just kill her. And the bartender shows up. Mm-hmm. The Morgan obviously does not respect him. She goes like, you have no stature here, man, you know, little man. Don't you have some shoes to cobble or a garden to protect or something? Yeah. But he just looks at her like, really? With the elf jokes? And she kind of like, fine. Without dialogue, he kind of gives her a look and she's like, all right. And he says, look, we need to learn more about this girl. I'm not saying there won't be a time when she needs to be taken down. I'm saying wait for the right moment. Learn more about her before you try to start a war with her. Kind of seems like they all agree to sort of like let it chill for a little bit. Yeah, because the next scene is the Fae police are letting Kenzie and Belle free. They've driven them back to the where they left her car in an alley. They let them out of the back of the van. And one of them, I can't remember, makes a joke about like, oh, we're paroled. And he says, yeah, basically. Milk says, vampire <laughs> cop says, yeah, pretty much. Here's the rules. Um, don't leave town. Don't mess in any fey business. Don't leave any more kills where humans can find them. And, you know, that's the terms, basically. Then he offers her his card and says, if you need help. Or he's, I think he says, when you need help. And she goes, if. And he goes, when you need help. You can find me at the 39th precinct and hands her his business card, obviously his actual like cop business card. And there's this weird moment where Kenzie says, I knew I smelled popo, which <laughs> another tedious. She's a crazy teen line, but surely it should have been Bo that said, ah, oh, I knew I could smell a cop indicating like, oh, I thought he was a cop. But then I was wrong. But haha, I was right. That would have been an, a, a justification for why she assumed they were cops. But for some reason, Kenzie is the one who says it. Mackenzie never had any, never suggested she thought they were cops in the first place. So um, she's always been acting as if she thought they were some kind of weird criminals. So, right. Uh, they then walk down the street and kind of have this moment of realization that, like, now we know, you know, this the world will never be the same. We know anybody around. They're looking at different people, a hot dog vendor, or a guy walking his dog, and they're like, any one of these people could be Faye. Yeah. And they're like, what do, what do we do next? And Bo says, well, let's go home and figure out the rest tomorrow. And she's and Kenzie's like, ew, does that mean we're a team? And basically they kind of, this is the moment where we kind of see a little bit of what the rest of the show, the kind of day-to-day of the show is going to be. Yeah. We still don't know. They don't set up a real, this is not a procedural. Um, if it's going to have a sort of monster of the week type of structure like Buffy, mm-hmm. we don't see any of that in this pilot. Right. But we know that. They're apparently going to go back to the dilapidated house is going to be there because she says, let's go home. Yeah. Presumably she means that place. To the crack shack. Uh, which actually looked like a, it looked like not a house, but like a big old building. I don't know. Yeah. I'm a sucker for a hideout in a cool abandoned building, which we got in burn notice as well. Right. I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. So I'm fine with it. Um, and yeah, they just go like, yeah, we'll figure it out tomorrow. I guess we're a team now. So they end the episode with. They're going to work together to figure out some way for the two of them to make a living since they can't leave town without the fan getting mad. Right. And that's our show. Credits. Where did the money go? I think this show is pretty well balanced. They didn't overstep their budget too much. The CGI tongue was the only place where they was like, ooh, you you reach too far. Yeah, it, it feels like an afterthought that they added at the last minute because they were like, oh, shit, we need to make him not just a Conan the Barbarian-y guy. We got to we gotta zhuzh him up a little bit. Yeah, we got to magic him up a little. And that, yeah, it was mm, all the other CGI and, and uh, presumably the, the uh, 
vampire look or werewolf look uh, remains to be seen of the milk toast cop uh his vampire face uh was pretty good yeah it was a little i laughed a little at it but it wasn't like oh geez that's it didn't take me out of it no. i laughed in a oh, tv vampires way but honestly it was no no certainly no worse than early buffy Better, even. It's like you said, like, there there was no, like, specific moment in this where it's like, clearly they blew all their uh, cashola on this. Yeah. N- none of the sets appeared too much. No, the one set that I did notice was the, the bar where they go to meet the bartender kind of has this, like, sort of cathedral-y ceiling with, like, brick and, like, exposed stonework that I think could end up being a more important location later oh yeah i bet it is and they probably did spend some money to get that location yeah that was that was a good one and her hideout they probably spent money building that because that's probably a set that they built right the the glass factory i would guess is probably location though because easier to find an abandoned building to shoot in than to build a set of one for a tv show but given that the the house is apparently going to be their hideout yeah i think that they probably that was a set, but it didn't feel over the top. No. Uh, it didn't. It wasn't distracting. No. When we see her there, it's not like, oh, well, this is way too detailed and cool looking. They're clearly going to come back to this. Yeah. I still bought that she could be abandoning that spot. So I think they did pretty well with the budget on this. All right. Good job, show. Cliffs and chips. When I finished the episode and Netflix went back to the main screen mm-hmm. of the show. Mm-hmm. And I saw the picture, which I already posted to this picture to Instagram. I went, oh, no, because it is a picture of Bo in the center looking straight at the camera with her sparkly blue succubus eyes. Milkto's vampire cop is standing behind her with his arms kind of around her and his head tilted down, almost as if he's going for her neck or for which I think was another hint of him being a vampire personally. But it looks very like. He is in her thrall. He's like drawn into her. And then Lauren, the doctor, is standing in front of her, leaning towards her a little bit with her mouth just a little bit open, like she's going in for a kiss almost. And Bo has her hand up, I think like holding Lauren's chin a little bit, like she's exerting some thrall over her, but looking straight at the camera. This shot, I was like, oh no. Is this what it feels like to have an OT3? Because I ship it. I want all of that to happen. Hey, yeah. I mean, obviously, that's what the show wants, too. And I'm glad because I also want this. Yeah, I, I think that's a mic drop for, as in terms of ships. Because <laughs> I was looking up some cast list or something and found that the show had, like, won awards or something for portrayal of gay characters. So, huh. yay. Into it. Yeah, different yeah. stuff. I mean, Lauren is clearly gay as hell. Yeah. There was no moment where they implied that she was like, look, I obviously I'm normal, a.k.a. straight. I just exert power over women when I need to get what I want. She seemed pretty, she had equal approach, uh, equal comfort with, and equal feelings about seducing men and women. Like, she was just like, whatever, people. So, uh, yeah, I I hope and suspect that yeah and especially from what everyone said that Bo is actually going to be portrayed as genuinely bisexual uh at a a guess Lauren just straight up goes oh she's a fan of Sappho is what I'm saying (laughs) is it too much to hope that vampire cop is bi is it ever too much to hope that there are more bi characters it's never too much to hope thank you thank you for telling me it's not too much of course of course uh cliffs 
if the reveal of what the mystery, because they imply, I think during the meeting with the Morgan, the Ash, and the bartender, it's the bartender implies, look, this girl didn't just accidentally live her whole life not knowing she's Faye, and accidentally we never heard about her. Someone has been shielding her from us. Right, right. So the implication is there's some sort of mystery going on. And it seems like that's got to be the big reveal of the first season. Unless the other option is they hold on to that and they tease that out for the whole show. And they've come up with some new reveal to to be the, the tension at the end of the first season. Yeah. So I, I don't know which one seems more likely or which one I want more. Whether it, it seems better for... We find out why, what her history is and what who's actually been controlling and hiding her. To find that at the end of the first season and then have the rest of the show be other fun adventures or to have that held out for the whole show. I don't know. I can't decide. Do you have a preference? Personally, I hope that all of this kind of like light, dark choice, two-party system, somebody's shielding her from us. Like I would love to see all of that get resolved quick, sooner rather than later. And... Just, I mean, I would love to just have the show be like an, ex- an more of an ex- exploration of this community and what that means. Oh, God, yes. Like in the day to day, because that to me would be a much more interesting show. I don't think that's the show we'll end up getting. Yeah. But like that just seems much more compelling. I, I totally agree because I, yeah, I love, I love urban fantasy and we so rarely get that in a visual medium, honestly, anything like mm-hmm mostly just books and to see I also just love going ah okay I know the basic tropes and framework you guys are approaching this from I I have a sense of what folklore you're working from and what other existing books and films and tv shows you're kind of drawing from I'm so excited to see how will they decide this should work in their universe how do the light and dark fey courts work and how does the power of because you know clearly milta's vampire cop is below the morgan and the ash morgan says something at one point he tries to speak to her and she goes i don't talk to the help or whatever right but he's also clearly above his partner cop anyway it's like i'm really interested to see how that'll all work out i was on one hand a little bit bummed that they went for dark and light for the terms mm-hmm. I mean, it's a TV show. I had no hope that they were going to actually say, like, seely and unseely, because those are weird-sounding words, even to someone who's familiar with them, and they sound extra weird to a, someone who's like, what the hell? Dark and light does get the point across, but I've heard other examples where they used, like, the winter court and the summer court instead of light and dark. Right. So they just didn't play into that very obvious trope. Although, I have to give them credit, the leader of the dark side is a white lady, and the leader of the light side is a black man, so that's kind of, you know... They played with the subverting expectations with that, at least. Right. And it's something that I could see them fleshing out more as time goes on. Mm-hmm. That's like, I guess, my my big hope watching more of the series is just seeing the world fleshed out more and sort of getting a look at the wider world that's being hinted at. Because clearly they've thought about it a lot. The kind of the way the dialogue is being dropped, it's not like a one sentence explanation of everything that is happening. Yeah. People are either having very specific dialogue about the in the moment thing, like the two cops going, oh, this is someone who's unregistered. Mm -hmm. Or it's like really vague and sort of a broad kind of dialogue. So I just want to see the world explored more. Definitely. And I mean, I gave the show a lot of crap for not being very well written. Right. Most of that was deserved. But also, to be fair, they had a lot to cram into this pilot. Which they did. They did okay. They did okay. (laughs) 
Speaking of they doing okay, final verdict. Uh, it's obvious. We already spoiled it. We both want to watch the hell out of the show. Yes. Because one of the things that I realized but never put into words before doing this podcast is that, you know, the two basic factors that help you decide whether you want to watch more of a show after watching a single episode is, are you on board with the the story, the way that they're telling it, the characters, the actors, the whole premise? Do you want more of that? But also the way that they told the story and the way that they delivered the information, do you feel confident that they will deliver it in a way that you want? Yeah. You know, because sometimes you watch a show and you're like, I love this premise, but it's so poorly written. I just can't believe that they're going to do it the way I want it. So I'm just going to give it a pass. Mm -hmm. And even though this show was not the best writing, I'm still on board for all of the hot mess that they can serve up. I'm I'm here for it. I think the 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 term I would use is world building. The world building is strong. Yeah. The the moment to moment dialogue and character interactions are not the greatest, but the world building is strong enough that I want to see more of that. Also, do they leave enough questions? Because they're like like Doogie Hauser, for example. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the characters. It was well written and a very well made show in general. I just kind of went, they didn't leave me with any questions where I'm like, oh, I gotta know where this goes or I can't wait to see this character develop in this way. Right. The show just kind of ended with me going, oh, okay, well, that was a cute show. But I, yeah, I didn't, I, wasn't, I didn't have any desire to watch it. Whereas with, you know, with this... Totally different show. Not fair to compare them. But with this, I'm like, oh, I got to know where this is going with this. Even more so with them with Burn Notice. To be fair, this is way more my speed. I'm less of a spy person and more of a f magical bullshit person. So this show could not have been made in a way that would draw me in more unless it had been written a little better. But like a bunch of gay ass fairies, like it's like it was made for me. <laughs> <laughs> two things I love and don't get enough of out of TV. Like, of course I'm going to want more of that. We don't get enough of, of, of good fantasy on TV. Yes. It's usually couched in, in, in horror. Right. Even if it's not a super scary show, like Buffy was that scary, but like it's still couched. It's mostly about vampires. Right. Or Charmed, mostly about witches. Those are both more the tropes of horror than they are of fantasy. Right. Because I think horror and sci-fi are more respected in general in our culture than fantasy is. So I was like pretty stoked to see this show starting. It just, it just strides right into the show and slaps its fay on the table and goes, fairy fucking deal with it. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of pilot house. Sarah and I had a lot of fun with this one, as I'm sure you can tell from having just listened to it. If you'd like to find out more about us, this podcast, our other projects, etc., you can go check out pilothousepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram or Twitter at pilothousepod. And uh, we are also on uh, Buy Me a Coffee. So you can just head over to buymeacoffee.com slash pilothouse if you want to buy us a coffee. I uh, am sort of not really familiar with Buy Me a Coffee. It's a thing Sarah said that we should set up. Is that, is that right? We should, we should get people to, to buy us coffees? I, I don't know why I'm yelling like that. Sarah's in Seattle. I'm up in Bellingham, so I, I don't think she can hear me, but sometimes it's fun to pretend. Uh, yeah, that's it for this week. I hope you folks enjoyed it, and we will see you all in two weeks for the next episode. Cheers. <laughs>